Well, hey there. On today's show, we are talking about leadership and specifically leadership dysfunction disorder. If you've never heard of that, well, don't feel bad. I hadn't either until today's guest shared with me what it is and gave some tips for how to deal with it. So if you're leading a team, and especially if you are brand new at leading a team, you're really going to love this episode. You're listening to Living a Limitless Life. I'm your host, Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we cover mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be. Every week, I bring you a candid conversation with world-class thought leaders, change makers, and hope dealers. They work in every arena, from the boardroom, to politics, to churches and synagogues. This show is where you need to be to get where you want to go. All right, friends, I'm really glad you're here. Come on, let's do this. Dale Carnegie of Orange County is proud to sponsor Living a Limitless Life. Dale Carnegie is a global training company focused on leadership presentation, team engagement, customer service, and sales. We help people take command of their work in order to change their lives. Joining me on the show today is actually a personal friend of mine, Steve Verberg, who is the co-owner of Dale Carnegie of Orange County here in California, where we're both located. Steve specializes in helping organizations plan and implement employee engagement programs that guide teams to increase profitability, production, and performance. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. We've known each other a while. It's been fun to watch your leadership journey. Um, I stalk you, as you know, on LinkedIn. (laughs) And was just really excited to have you come on and dive into all things leadership. So, Steve, why don't you share a little bit about how you fell into leadership and that passion that you have for helping other people? Okay. Well, leadership is actually something I've been involved in since I've been about 19 years old. So uh, started in leadership positions a long time ago. I'm not going to date myself and tell you how many years ago that was, <laughs> but it's it was a long time ago. And kind of learned through trial and error over the years um, in uh, technology positions, sales positions. I worked for a school district for a number of years. Um, So all kinds of different leadership experiences. And uh, in the company I was at prior to Dale Carnegie, um, you know, I asked for some training and they recommended Dale Carnegie. And that's how I made the connection with Dale Carnegie. Oh, that's awesome. So I know that you are really passionate about leadership being an intentional activity. It's not a, I'm the boss, my name's on the door, sit in my my office with my feet up on the desk and just kind of wait for problems to come knocking on my door. So share with us about being an intentional leader. Well, intention is really, uh, it's all about knowing kind of who you are, right? Uh, For me, uh, one of the exercises we do in our leadership programs 
one of the first exercises, really take a look at your own values. Um, so I know my values, my, one of my top values is integrity. So as a leader, being intentional that everything that I do lines up with that, that value so that I enjoy being where I'm at. I create an environment where people understand that value and uh, behave appropriately so that we don't have a conflict of values. So intentional leadership is really making it an active part of who you are and how you create an environment around you that supports um, those values. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody that's that's younger in their career and they're just mm-hmm. stepping into that leadership role of developing their awareness of, you know, what, what are my values and being really clear that they are leading from those values? Well, the, I guess the biggest thing is to really take some time to self-reflect today. Everybody's going a hundred miles an hour with technology. You know, they're distracted with, multitasking, doing 10 things at once. They never stop and create some white space for just thinking about what are their real goals? Who are they? And when I say goals, I'm not just talking about making, you know, $200,000 a year. I'm talking about what are your goals in life? So, um, you know, today a lot of people uh, think about that bigger picture if they stop and just take a few moments about what they really want. And I think that saves a younger person a lot of time and mistakes of going into the wrong fields or doing the wrong thing if they will stop and just self-reflect and, and create that white space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like we're all going 100 miles an hour. And it's not just those in leadership. We're seeing that trickle down to, like, our kids are going 100 miles an hour. and we need to be really diligent role models to our kids that going a hundred miles an hour, like seven days a week, 24 hours a day, isn't always the healthiest thing to do. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. I, I think it can kind of affect, um, or maybe it marginalizes how effective we really are. What do you think? I think it can. Um, it's it's like anything. It's it's funny you say that. I was um, working on a uh, program for reducing workplace stress this morning before we we started talking, and that's one of the big things: is people are being inundated with data, problems, and life, uh, and so they're becoming overwhelmed and and. Unfortunately, it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem as we advance with technology, because while it's supposed to make our lives easier, it actually makes us um, take on more than we can handle sometimes. Mm, yeah, I think so. So I, I'm sure that the the answer to that is, again, being very reflective of how am I using my time? Yeah, there's some, I, I mean, there's some very simple um, stress and worry principles. Uh, I would recommend anybody that's that's facing a lot of stress and worry to read the book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Mm. You know, living in daytight compartments, um, asking yourself, you know, what's the worst can happen? Um, getting all the facts, you know, looking at what's the problem, 
what are the causes of the problem, what are the possible solution, and what's the best possible solution based on that. So there's a lot of um, core um, analyzing principles that help you really take, you know, stop, take a look at what's causing the stress in my life and, and then make a good decision based on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good recommendation. I'll have that linked below in the show notes as well. Let's circle back to that intentional leadership. I attended mm -hmm. one of your workshops where we were talking about creating engagement. Um, could you give us a couple of tips for, for that new person that just goes, oh my gosh, you know, I'm brand new. I've never led a team. How can I build engagement and, and build that trust factor with my team? Yeah, the, today's um, generation demands it, right? If you, don't, if you don't stop and really build a relationship with your people, it's going to be hard to get them to follow you. So things that we like to say here are, you know, people uh, support a world uh, that they help build. In other words, um, you got to give them a voice so that the I guess the top three things I would recommend. One, take the time to get to know your people. You know, sit down with them, have some conversations. Um, get to know them as people, not just tools to get a job done. Mm -hmm. Know that they're important in that respect, they're, that you respect them as people. Um, two, give them a voice and in decisions. In other words, just, don't just tell people what to do ask them questions, get their feedback. Normally the people that are on the front line have a lot more insight than the people who are not. So if they're, you know, one step closer to that front line than you are, get their feedback, uh, really take it into perspective to help drive decisions and then have open communication with your whole team. The more you can communicate, be transparent, uh, the more they're going to be willing to follow you. You know, that word transparency really scares a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I don't think it should. What do you think, though? It goes back to my core principle of integrity, right? If you're, mm -hmm. if you're true to who you are, then you're not going to be afraid to be transparent. Mm. Ooh, I like that. There's no reason that you should be. Right. Right. It's right. only when it's only when you're trying to hide something that you would ever be afraid of that transparency. Okay, so what does healthy transparency in the workplace look like without crossing any unhealthy boundaries? So transparency is is open, honest communication. Um, and that doesn't mean just when things are going good. It also means, um, you know, the post-mortem, as you would say, you know, when, when things have gone wrong, let's take a look at what happened so that we can improve the next time. It's not mm -hmm. to place blame, but let's get together. Let's look at what did we do right? What can we do better next time? Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that transparency is, whether it's communication from the sea level whether it's the state of the projects that we're working on or, you know, the state of the organization, mm -hmm. uh, the more we communicate, the more people are going to support us, the more people are going to feel like we have their back. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. 
I, I do find that there's a lot of people that are just really afraid. They're kind of old school, which takes mm-hmm. me to your next point. You wrote such an interesting article on LinkedIn a while ago called, Does Your Organization Suffer from Leadership Dysfunction Disorder? I'm just going to read the first paragraph because I started reading this and I was like, stop the presses. We need to talk about this because what you describe in this article is clearly people that either are afraid to be transparent, they don't know how to be, it's just not in them or it's not on their radar. So you wrote, leadership dysfunction disorder is a form of cognitive dissonance based on opinion override that disconnects the leader from the realities around them. In simple terms, it is when a leader thinks because he or she has so much experience, skill, and knowledge that they internalize their way of doing things is always the best way. So they become narrow-minded and unteachable. Are there leaders in your organization that justify why their decisions are right, even if the evidence clearly indicates otherwise? Oh, Steve. (laughs) That's a big ouch. That's a big ouch. All right. Talk to us about that. Well, that... uh... That uh, blog that I wrote there was stemming from multiple conversations I've had with multiple organizations (laughs) over a 12-year span where time and time again, you know, the executive leadership is pointing at everybody below them saying they're the problem. And then when you go in and you do um, the research and you have the conversations, you ultimately go, well, no. It's the executive leadership that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not always executive leadership, but the, the people at the bottom are pointing upwards. The people upwards are pointing down. Mm-hmm. And more, you know, more often than not, um, the leaders are the ones that need to change, not the people below them. The leaders are the ones that are making the culture of the organization. The leaders are the ones that are... are making it hard to mm-hmm. get things in organizations. And because they're in these positions of where they think they should know what to do, sometimes it's based on fear. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, not, gonna, I'm not gonna show that I'm human and, and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's also just a stubbornness um, that they think they're always right. And how dare somebody tell me I'm wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I've experienced that firsthand where I was working at a company where I was basically told, um, contribute to stopping the turnover of talent. And as I worked with the new talent coming in, leading orientation and delivering training, I started to realize you've got really great people coming in. You're not hiring the wrong people. The problem is that they get here and they realize that what they brought to the table is not lining up with what the higher ups in the company have brought to the table. And there was a a collision of of values of what somebody wants in the workplace and they would leave. So I agree with you that it's it's a leadership thing. Hence the Uh word leader, right? We have to lead our people. That's right. We have to be open to, to hear their suggestions and allow them the autonomy to make decisions when they feel it's necessary. I, 
I would use the um, the example of the of the U.S. military. What makes them so great is they let the, the people in the field, the field commanders, make decisions when necessary based on the situation that they're in. Then mm-hmm. you know one of my very first management experiences, and I won't I won't name the the organization, but I had a manager that basically micromanaged the day, gave me the outline, here's everything that needs to be done. But I was the one interfacing with the customers and I'd make adjustments when I felt they had to be made to make the customer experience um, a better one. Mm-hmm. I remember getting called into her office and getting yelled at for how dare I change anything on that schedule and there was nothing I could say, but, you know, sorry, I was trying to do the best for the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the customers were definitely happier when those changes were made, but it wasn't, the autonomy wasn't given to me to make any changes. So it's it's been a problem for a long, long time. And I'm sure, well, the, the whole concept of leadership dysfunction disorder came from, you know, philosophers back in Rome. So it's been around for a couple thousand years. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get, let's dish some more advice because you are such a mentor to so many people. Let's say we have somebody comes into your office seeking that mentorship and they say, hey, Steve, you know, I'm, I'm a new manager and I am bucking up against exactly the scenario that you just outlined what what's best for them with their career path? Do they stay in peace? Do they leave and leave the company and look for other opportunities? Do they try to bridge the gap with their who they report to? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question because <laughs> obviously it's going to depend on that individual where they're at in their career. Um, go back to that reflective time that that we talked about at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. What are they wanting in their lives? What's going to make them happy? I will Mm -hmm. always tell everyone, if you are not happy where you're at, then make a change. Mm -hmm. If you're happy where you're at, then you try and and lead in a 360-degree manner, right? You Mm. lead those around you. You try and lead up. By being that that good example, um, good human relations skills, communication skills. Uh, but if you're in an organization that ultimately doesn't want you to be able to make a difference and is stifling you or hindering you from moving up or progressing in your career, then it's probably mm-hmm. a good idea to look for another one. Yeah. I really like that term, 360-degree leadership. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, John Maxwell uh, wrote that book, 360-degree leader. So it's a, it's a highly recommended book amongst most people that, that study leadership. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely one that I would say is, is worth reading. That sounds good to me. I'll link that one below too. <laughs> People are going to have a lot of reading to do. They're going to have a lot of reading to do. What What is the best book you've ever read that really left a mark on you personally? That is a good question. I've read a lot of 
fantastic books. I'd say um, the most recent one that I could say definitely made an impact on me was the Marshall Goldsmith, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Oh, yeah. Um, talks about the, the dysfunctions within leadership. And I was immediately able to identify my dysfunction. <laughs> so, yeah, I have those, those challenges, too. I had uh, suffered from what we call um, adding too much value. Oh, every time one of my people would come to me with an idea, I immediately could see three ways to make it better. And I would articulate those three ways to them. And then they would leave my office deflated. because No longer their idea. It was now my idea. So I had to learn to instead of telling them what I thought they should do to make it a better idea, just asking them questions so that they could reflect on how they could make it an even better idea and keep the ownership and obviously the enthusiasm and excitement of, of the idea they came up with. Okay. I just had a really painful moment. I think I do that too. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a lot of people do it. According to Marshall Goldsmith, there's a lot of uh, executive leaders and leaders that do that. And that's part of the reason why you rise to leadership is because you're able to see how to make things progress and how to make things better. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, we have to learn as leaders how to keep our staff engaged and motivated and not basically take over their initiatives and their ideas. Mm -hmm. I think I do that with my kids, just out of the (laughs) pure enthusiasm of that's such a great idea. You really could go like three or 10 different ways with this. Mm -hmm. So it's not really, it's a bad thing, but it sort of is a bad thing. (laughs) It's just something you have to be aware of. There's times as a parent, because I have five children myself, there's times as a parent, I have to tell them what to do. But there's also times that I could just ask them questions and let them come to the decision. So yeah, whether it's as a parent or as a leader, you just have to be aware of when is the appropriate time to give them information and when's it more appropriate just to ask them for information. That's so good. I just love having this conversation with you because most of the time when I see you, you've got a room full of people and I can't get all the the stories and the knowledge out of you that I personally want. So this is really awesome. Okay. I'm going to ask you a big one now, Steve, what was the most valuable lesson you've ever learned in your career? (laughs) <laughs> putting you on the spot a little bit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I'd have to say it was it was way back early in my um, leadership experience when I thought, well, basically I had leadership dysfunction disorder. I thought I knew the best way to do everything. And because of that, I kind of took over everything. And I remember one day stepping back, thinking I was exhausted, looking at my staff and they were all sitting around a desk chatting and thinking, I pay them to do everything that I've just done. So I had to learn to delegate and know that even if it doesn't get done exactly the way I would do it, mm-hmm. mean that it's not being done right. Mm. So if the guidelines to do a project or a job 
and and deputize them to go do it. So we're not I'm not saying micromanage. I'm not saying don't um, don't manage it all, but we have to deputize them to go do the job so that they feel like they're growing. We have to mentor them to make sure that we're stretching them and and giving them things that will be interesting to them. But don't don't do everything yourself as a leader. You have to be able to to let go of even things you like to do because it's no longer your responsibility to do it. It's somebody else's. You know, mm-hmm. the higher you go up the chain, the more often you have to give up those things you like doing because somebody else is now in charge of those. Yeah. And that really helps too with succession planning and just developing that individual when you start handing off and and letting them run with it, whether they succeed or fail, it's giving them the wings to try. Well said. <laughs> you got to you got to give them the wings, yeah. Give them the wings. Okay, so what do we do when we've given them the wings and mm-hmm. they crashed and burned? Well, that's that's where you have to be there as a coach, as a mentor. Um, Hopefully you've set up some some, uh, safety checkpoints so that they don't crash and burn to the point where um, it's going to cost them or the team or the organization a great deal. Um, You know, you, you... basically outline what needs to be done. You empower them to go do it, but you also have your checkpoints where you're meeting with them to see that they're on track, that things are going well. And then if they come to you and say, hey, this is not going well, you have to be prepared to help guide them to where they need to be. Mm -hmm. And part of that is that transparency thing, right? If Mm -hmm. you're not transparent to them, they fear coming to you and saying, Hey, it's, you know, I'm failing, help me. So you've got to have transparency, both directions, open communication, and basically a relationship of trust where they, they know that, Hey, it's not going well. I can go to him and ask, or I can go to her and ask. um, And you're not going to jump down their throats. You're just going to ask the questions that'll get them to get you know, back on the path. Sometimes it's, it's resources you have to provide. Sometimes it's mentoring. Sometimes it's just letting them talk it out with you so that they can come to the, the best possible solution to get it back on track themselves. Mm, That's so good. So what are some ways that we can create that safe, healthy workplace environment where they can fail fast and not feel like, oh gosh, it's such a failure, but really be more like little Albert Einstein's of looking at it scientifically of, well, now we know what doesn't work, so let's let's move forward. Well, I guess it would depend on on the position they're in, right? Because some, some positions have uh, tasks or jobs that are, are easier to fail at quicker mm-hmm. and have a big repercussion, obviously. Um, some organizations or positions have people that they really put into to positions where failure is not an option. Um, so you have to be there to support them um, 
at every step of the way. And I'm not, again, advocating micromanagement. I'm just saying that based on the environment, you're going to set up a plan in those check-ins, mm-hmm. appropriate points. Um, but they have to know that it's okay to fail as long as you have a reasonable acceptable margin of error. In other words, we can fail this far, but once we get past that, it's no longer <laughs> it's a point of no reasonable, right? <laughs> so we got it. And so you have to have that checkpoint to make sure it never crosses that point. As a as a leader, the ultimate buck stops with you, right? You can't down the chain and say it's all their fault. You have to take responsibility. So that's where you have to set them up for success. I love that. That's so good. You are dropping it today, Steve. Oh my (laughs) gosh. So good. So what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? (sighs) My (laughs) 20-year-old self. You know, that is a hard question because all of the mistakes I've made have made me the person I am today. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say don't do X, Y, and Z, because then I might not be where I am today. Um, So I guess the biggest advice I would give to my 20-year-old self is just, hey, take the time to reflect on what's important to you Mm -hmm. and really make sure you make that the priority of your life. Yeah. I love it. That's so good. So we have some special news to share with the audience today. Do you want to, do you want to share it or do you want me to share it? I'll let you share it because I don't know what the special news is. <laughs> <laughs> that you're, you're now a, a sponsor of the show. Oh, yes, yes. I threw you. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exciting to have Dale Carnegie, Orange County, as a official sponsor of the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I know I've attended, gosh, how many of your workshops? And um, I always learn so much and you have such an amazing team. So I know you're going to just keep delivering more and more content. And people probably don't realize that they can go to, to Dale Carnegie Orange County. Oh, I'm sorry. It's ocdalecarnegie.com because you have free workshops that they can sign up for. Do you have also um, like white pages that they can grab there? We do. We have white papers. We have um, studies. uh, We have uh, leadership guides, sales guides, customer service guides. Um, We have all kinds of free resources that uh, they can download, and again, at no charge. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's so content heavy and so relevant. Like, it, this isn't just a, a sweet little opt-in type of thing, you know, where it doesn't really give you any value for that exchange of your email address. You're going to get some good stuff. I downloaded tons of of your stuff before I ever went to a workshop with you. That's good. That's good. That's what they're there for. And, <laughs> and the workshops, the workshops are not where we, we sell people to, to, uh, in the Dale Carnegie programs. They're, they're real Dale Carnegie workshops that people come for 
uh, information on emotional intelligence or employee engagement or our next one in December is on organizational agility. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're trying to give back to the, the Orange County community in this case, because that's uh, where we work and uh, give them a, a real Carnegie experience. So, yeah, I encourage everybody to come down and attend if, if they have the time. Yes. And I can attest to that. I, I've been to, I don't even know how many, there's never been a sales pitch. It is a two hour hands-on workshop. It's just tons of content. You get to meet great people and do some networking before and after. And you walk away with that value and they have all their materials there. If you want more information or if you want to find out, you know, like if you can send your team to Steve's office for a training, or he has a team that can come to your office, it's a great opportunity to really take your business to the next level and hone your leadership skills. So thank you, Steve. Anything thank you, you. want to add? What are you working on now? So right now I'm in the process of writing a, a book on employee engagement. So uh, look for that in the near future. Uh, it's a guide for engaging teams on any level, creating employee engagement uh, initiatives. So I'm looking forward to being done with that, hopefully uh, within the next uh, four to six months. It takes a while to write a book. and Just a little while. <laughs> yeah, just a little while, as you know, as you know. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's so awesome to have you on. I'm so excited to partner with ocdalecarnegie.com. And once again, this is Steve Verberg, author, speaker, coach, consultant, mentor, epic leader. I can't say enough about my friend, Steve. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Sharon. Well, hey friends, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I found everything that Steve brought to the table so interesting and so well said. Leadership has never in a time of our lives been more desperately needed than it is today. I've got everything linked for you below in the show notes. Make sure that you connect with Steve Verberg at ocdalecarnegie.com. And I have all the books that were mentioned in this segment linked for you below as well. So as always, my friends, thank you so much for being here. And until next time, I wish you every good thing. <music>